Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter accomplished in us and through us. Christian life consists of training and building up, testing and service. God wants to accomplish some things in each and every one of us. One of those things is really to conform us to the image of his son. As a matter of fact, if you look at Romans chapter 8, this is why we have been predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Why were we chosen, elected, to be holy and blameless before him? So the work of the Holy Spirit in us, each believer, first of all is, to conform us to the image of his son. This is why we have been given the Holy Spirit. In order for him to build us up, to train us up, in order that he may use us. Picture a babe. Can you trust a babe to do anything for you? No, you have to do everything for him or her. How about a little child, six, seven, eight? You can trust him with little things, but not big things. You're not going to send him to store, to the store to go and uh, do the shopping for, for the family. You're not going to send him to fi fix the plumbing yet, are you? But now when he reaches 18, 19, 20, he's experienced, trained, and mature, then you can rely on that person. Well, dear saints, we're no different. At first, we're babes in Christ. That's why the Spirit of God is building us up in order for him to be able to rely on us, be able to submit certain things to us that he may accomplish those things through us. So the first thing is first, to build us up. And as he's building us, he's giving us more and more responsibilities to be able to work through us. And then as we get more mature, as we strengthen in the Lord, as we trust Him more, we are more dependable for Him to give us greater tasks in order for Him to fully accomplish His purposes in us and then through us. And therefore, He has equipped us. He has given us His Spirit. And His Spirit uses His Word. His Spirit uses various circumstances in our lives. His Spirit uses one another, the various gifts of the church, in order to be able to build us up. But he needs our cooperation, they're saints. You know, if, uh, if we strive with him, if we, if we don't cooperate with him, how can he do these things? Just like the Spirit of God strives with the unsaved to bring him to Christ, and he does, he convinces that word that's found in the book of John, that Spirit of God will convict in some translation. The word really is convince of sin of judgment or of sin of righteousness and judgment. To convince, to persuade beyond shadow of doubt as to the truth of sin, truth of judgment, truth of righteousness. And he wants to make it clear to each and every one and before he gets done with a person, whether a person accepts or rejects, that person knows full well what the gospel is all about, what sin is all about, what judgment will be all about, and what righteousness is. So he strives. He also strives with us. How often we don't cooperate. How often we quench him and grieve him. I know I have. And we turn each to his own separate way. We want to do our own things. There are certain things I wanted to accomplish in my life. 
I had goals for my life. I had plans. I had dreams. But see, all those were carnal goals and dreams. There's a difference when I have spiritual dream, spiritual goal, spiritual purpose. And then I can see myself working with the Spirit of God in partnership. But then I can also see, and I have seen in my own life, where it was me, me, and more of me. This is what I want. This is what I see myself 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now. And that's when the Lord has to strive with me and has to correct me, has to discipline in order to bring me back to the path that he wants me to be on. They're saying, therefore, we need to learn to walk in the Spirit in order for him to lead, because this is a spiritual course. This is not something that, that you have planned out for yourself. This is not something that your parents planned out for yourself. It's, it's a little bit different when you have a parent or a tutor that says, you know what, child, this is what I want you to do in life. This is what I want you to be in life. And then they guide you and direct you, and they tell you, and they're at your side at all times. Well, we have the Spirit of God within that does the same thing except spiritual things. You can't expect to complete our carnal course and our spiritual course at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because spirit strives against flesh and flesh against spirit. They are not parallel. They don't run parallel courses. We can't jump from one to the other thinking that, yes, I can fulfill my desires and then I can fulfill God's desires at the same time. It doesn't work that way. I know that many of us try to burn candle at both ends, but it doesn't work. We can't do it. Two different reasons. Two different reasons. They're running opposite of one another. Total opposites. And the second reason is there just isn't enough time. Look at a, a course that, that, that we find, a course that we find in the world. For instance, you want to make something of yourself, whether in sports, whether in entertainment business, whether in arts, crafts, whether in politics, whether in business. How long does it take to become a professional? It takes years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Some people are building great empires. How long did it take them? Whole lifetime. Whole lifetime. So if I'm going to pursue this kind of a career, my carnal career, if I want to see myself at, at the age of 60 or so retired on a golf course somewhere or doing all kinds of things, and until then I have to pursue certain things because I already have planned out from A through Z, how in the world am I going to have enough time to complete the course that the Lord has prepared for me? How can I? God has given each one of us ample time to complete things that he wants to complete in us and through us. Look at all the little detours that we take from that course. It takes a lifetime. But he did give us ample time, plenty of time to complete the course. Therefore, we are instructed to redeem the time, for the days are evil. What did our Lord Jesus Christ say about his own life and his own work? He says, I must do the work of the one who sent me. I must work while it is still day, before the night comes, for the night comes, and no man will be able to work. Well, they're saying, night of death is coming for each and every one of us, and it's closer and closer every day. And if the Lord does not come, it's one thing if the Lord does come and interrupts our life that we cannot complete the whole thing. But you know what a sad case it is? If we do live out those 50, 60, 70, 80 years, 90 years, 
and we have not completed what the Lord has prepared for us to complete. That's a sad case. A course is a continuous passage of pro or progress through time and circumstances. It is a journey of life lived out in a certain direction, and each one of us will take certain direction. We'll follow some kind of a course. All of us were born on a course of this world. It were taken along, just like the river carries debris. We're all carried along with it. But you know, the end of that particular course is death. It is a broad way that leads unto destruction. It's conformity with the customs and manners of this world system. This course is planned by myself, and it's altered every now and then by, by the different forces which are found around us. But the grace of God has appeared unto all men, bringing salvation. Because God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And the work of the Holy Spirit, as he strives with each person, is to convince him or her that they are on this broad path that leads unto destruction, that leads unto eternal damnation. And he desires to see each one of those turn around. That's what repentance is, when a person sees, when he's been told, he's been shown by the Spirit of God the truth about his own course, where he's heading, where the course itself is headed. And then a person repents. He says, you know what, God is right. He has a change of mind, change of view, change of direction. And he accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior or her Savior. And then that person is placed on a different course. It is a spiritual course with different end results. This new course has been mapped out, prepared, planned out, and is directed by God himself through his Spirit. This previous course was our way. It was the way of the world, the way of ungodliness. The new course is the path, the ways of righteousness. We can see this in Psalm 22. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So he has already prepared these ways that we are to walk in. Path of righteousness, path of holiness, path of faith, path of obedience, and path of submission. You notice it is my course. Apostle Paul says, my course, finish my course. In the uh, 13th chapter of the book of Acts, he speaks of John the Baptist, and he says, when John was completing his course, so John the Baptist had his own course. It was to, to prepare the hearts of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. It was to introduce the Messiah to the nation of Israel. It was to introduce the Lamb of God to the world. And when his course was finished, he died. In his case, he was executed. Our Lord Jesus Christ did his own course. He had to fi finish, fulfill the work that the Father has given him, work of salvation and redemption. King David is his own course, too. Apostle Paul writes about him in 13th chapter of the book of Acts. When David served his generation according to the will of God, he died. So we see that David, King David, had a course to com complete. And his work was, his course was to liberate Israel through all, from all its enemies in order for Solomon, who was the king of peace, to be able to, in peace, build a temple for Jehovah. 
David also prepared all sorts of gold and silver and brass and iron and all sorts of things, wood, for the temple, even the plants for the temple. And when his course was finished, he died. So we see that God uses each child of God, each one of his children, to accomplish certain things through them. And we need to be cognizant of this. We need to understand this. We need to take this to heart. That this is not, this is, life is not a game. Just because you have eternal salvation, just because you have ticket to heaven, just because you have fire insurance, doesn't mean this is the end. That's only the beginning when you receive that. And that's when you are placed on the course that God has planned out. And that's why he has given you his spirit in order to lead and to guide you, to direct you. And he has equipped you as well in order to be able to accomplish these things. And this is all to his glory and to his honor. This course includes our behavior, our conduct, our character. We are to be Christ-like. Obedience to his word. Submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And since this is a spiritual course, who else is going to lead us? I can't lead you, and you can't lead me. I can't run your course, and you can't be running my course. Your course is different than mine. Even though they might be heading in the same direction, if it's a spiritual course, But, you know, I have different center of influence. I work at a different place. I come in contact with different people. I receive different gift. I have a different ministry than you. The Lord uses me differently than he does you. And therefore, it would be wrong for me to look at you and say, you know what, I like the way you run, and I want to be just like you, and I'm going to mimic everything that you do. That's your course. That is not my course. Trials are part of this course. What is a trial but a test? What happens in school? What happens occasionally? Doesn't a teacher, instructor, or professor give a quiz, a test, to see how much we have learned? The Lord allows us to go through trials in order to help us, in order to put in practice what we have learned. How about temptations? No temptations are overtaken you, which is not common to man. He knows exactly how much you and I can take, but at the same time, he prepares a, an escape. But unless we walk in with the Lord, how do we know what that escape is? Unless we're walking by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, when he's the one directing, he's the one who prepared that particular escape, how do we know which one it is? How do we know which door it is to escape through? We don't, unless we're walking in the Spirit. Tribulations? All those who will live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, tribulations. That just comes with Christianity. They hated the Lord. They're going to hate us. They persecuted him. They will persecute us. But again, he strengthens and allows us and helps us to go through by the power that's in us, which is his Holy Spirit and the grace which he has given us and will give us in a time of need. Exercise of gifts. Every now and then we hear someone say, well, I don't have a gift. I don't know what my gift is. What is a gift? What is a spiritual gift? We can find those in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. What are gifts? They're manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It is when the Spirit of God manifests himself through a believer in a supernatural way, something that you, don't, you don't never had. It's something that you cannot go to school and learn, something that you were not born with. It is him. Now, the only way, if you call yourself a believer, you don't have a Holy Spirit in you, 
is you wouldn't have a gift. That means you're not saved. Another way is if you are born again, but you're not walking with the Lord, and you have grieved the Spirit and quenched the Spirit, then naturally the Spirit of God cannot manifest himself through you. He cannot because you are the hindrance. That's the only way that you would not have a gift of not know what your gift is because two reasons only. You truly are not born again, and you don't have the Holy Spirit. And the second reason is you've grieved the Holy Spirit. You're living your own kind of a life. You will not allow him to be the master in your life, to lead and to guide you, to direct you. You're quenching the Holy Spirit with your kind of a lifestyle, or you want to do things your way, and then, of course, you will not know what your gift is because there is no manifestation of the Holy Spirit through you. But if you truly are born again, believer, then you do have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will manifest himself through you when it's needed, in his own time, in his own way. It is not like a light switch. He says, Holy Spirit, show up. And many times I hear these people and they pray, oh, Holy Spirit, just show up. Well, he's here. If his people are here, and he's in you, but do you allow him to work through you? We can pray and ask for grace and help, but it is the Spirit of God when, it's, when he says it's time, in his own place, in his own time, and in his own way, for his own purpose. So he knows all these. It is our responsibility to yield and uh, submit ourselves to him. The Lord Jesus Christ gives a ministry to go along with that gift. And then God the Father uses these gifts and ministries for his purpose, where he wants them, how he wants them, when and where as well. Let me give you an example from the book of Acts. In 13th chapter of the book of Acts, we see five men praying and, and uh, fasting. Now, these men were ready prophets and teachers in the church of Antioch. That's 13th chapter of the book of Acts, first five verses. These men were already prophets and teachers. They had a ministry and they had gifts. And now they're praying to see what the will of God is. And the Spirit of God is the one who decides who goes. He says, separate unto me two men, Barnabas and Saul. Not the other three, but those two specifically. And the other three recognize that this is the will of God, this is the Spirit of God working, and they lay hands on them, they send them out. Now they go out. And they do all sorts of good things. And then in the 16th chapter, we see Apostle Paul and company as they're going and preaching the gospel from place to place, and they're establishing assemblies. And they get on the border of Asia, and they want to go into Asia, but the Spirit of Christ said no. We don't know how. It doesn't say how he prevented them, but he did. And they try again. They're doing the right thing. They're testing the spirits. Is it me, or is it the Lord? Or is it the evil spirit? Is it Satan? And the Spirit of Christ second time says no. And then Apostle Paul has a vision, has a dream. And a man of Macedonia comes to him, and he says, come and help us. And then uh, Luke says, then we perceived that it was the will of God for us to go to Europe instead of Asia. Now, did not Asia need the gospel? Were they doing something wrong by preaching the gospel and establishing assemblies? No, they were doing a good thing. But it wasn't the Spirit's time. It wasn't God's timing for them to go to Asia. About two years later, they did go to Asia. And Apostle Paul does spend two years in Asia. And all of Asia Minor hears the gospel. So you noticed how this course works? It is not just, well, you know what, I'm saved now, so I'm going to go preach the gospel in the street corner. I'm going to go through such and such a meeting, and I'm going to do this and that. Are you led, are you directed by the Holy Spirit? Do you spend time with the Holy Spirit in prayer? 
Do you spend time with the Lord? He says, Lord, where would I go? Where should I do? When should I do this? So we see all these little details, but not only in our, Christian, in our religious or, or assembly life, that goes along also in our private life, so we need to be very careful because we cannot separate our private life from so-called religious life. They go hand in hand. How often is it that we, uh, we think of our personal lives as our own, and then, of course, quote-unquote religious life that belongs to the Lord? And we revolve our religious life around our personal life. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to accomplish. I want this kind of a job. I want to work for this kind of a company in that part of a town or city or that part of a state and that kind of a neighborhood that I would like to uh, get myself housed and live in and that particular school district. And then, oh, by the way, is there an assembly here? Is there a meeting here? Oh, good. There is one. Good. It must have been the Lord's will. How do you know? What is the first thing that Apostle Paul said after his conversion? Lord, what would thee have me do? What do you want me to do? What is your will? You know, Apostle Paul was a bright man. He was a tent maker. He had a good head on his shoulders. He had a center of influence, too. He could have made a good business out of tent making. He could have started a business in Antioch or Jerusalem. And then he says, you know what? And I'm going to help out in the assembly here as well. That's not what he did, is it? His private life instead revolved around his spiritual life. He went from place to place. Did he employ his tent making? Yes, he did. Where it was needed, when it was needed, when it was available. I'm not saying that all of us are going to be like Apostle Paul, going from place to place. But our first thought should be, Lord, where would you have me be? Which assembly? Which ministry? Where? And then, by the way, Lord, I do need a wife if you want to get married, or a husband. How often is it that we don't do it this way? Why do you think there are so many unhappy marriages amongst Christians? Why so many divorces, 50% or so, of divorces among Christians? That is a shame. Why? Because we don't ask. And if you don't ask, you will not receive. So how often is it that we do these things? And instead of asking the Lord, what would you have me be? Where would you have me be? And then, Lord, by the way, I do need a job. And the Lord knows that you need a job. And you need a house. And so on and so forth. So he will provide all these things. But we cannot have the Lord revolve around our personal life. No, everything else should revolve around him. His own time, his own way, his own place, for his own purpose. Every course... It is not mapped out by God. Directed by God is evil. And we need to understand that from the Word of God. Now, there's a difference between a race and a course. Sometimes we mix the two up. A runner races on a course that has been prepared by organizers of the event. Those who prepare the, the, uh, the event, they also prepare the course where the runners or athletes will compete. And then when they prepare all these, well, along with all the rules and regulations, they invite the runners, and they place them on a course. They tell them what the rules and regulations are, and they tell them to run. What happens if a runner decides and he says, you know what, I don't like these rules and regulations. I don't even like the way the course is set up. Whether it's an obstacle course or whether it's a long-distance course. 
I'm going to run my own way. I know marathon should be X amount of miles, so I'm going to mark out my own mileage. I know the obstacle course should include certain things, so I'm going to do my own things. And I know the rules and regulations, but I disagree with him, so I'm going to make my own. What happens to that person after he finishes that course? He's going to be disqualified. Let me read something to you that Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes, how? Lawfully. Unless he strives lawfully or according to the rules. So it's not me making my own rules, and it's not me making my own course. I have to run on a course that God has prepared for me, and I have to run according to the rules that he has set up. These are the guidelines in the Word of God. We have them. So race is a competition, but a course is the way of that competition. Christian course is a life. It is a career, really. It is a career of tasks and of struggles and of accomplishments. A career guided by heavenly commandments, heavenly rules, heavenly guidelines. We don't do what seems to be right in our eyes, do we? We don't take, we don't copy from the world. We're not going to finish well that kind of a course. We'll be disqualified. It is a life of faith. It is a life of prayer. It is a life of submission. It is a life of obedience. It is life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, on this course, we don't compete one against the other. How many sermons can you preach in a year? Or how many souls can you bring to Christ in a year? How many times have you read the Bible in a year? How many prayers do you offer in a year? No, we don't compete again once, once against, one against the other. But we do compete. It is a competition. It is a war. It is a struggle against sin, against flesh, against the world, against various temptations, and against powers of darkness. Likewise, we don't compete for earthly prizes, not for gold, not for money, not for honor, not for glory, not for various lusts and various pleasures that this world offers to its athletes and competitors, but rather we compete for one great prize. There are many other things. There's joy and there's peace, there's rest, there's contentment, but the Lord's approval is the greatest prize. Well done been a faithful servant. Apostle Peter tells us that in times past, we all pursued course of our desires and various lusts. We did what we willed. We did what we desired. We did things that were pleasing in our own eyes, and we were really living for self. Our manner of life was one of satisfying self through various means. But he says it's time to leave that course behind. It is the time to die to that old course. It is the time to turn away from that course. It is the time to pursue the will of God. And how can we do so unless we know what his will is? And how can we know his will unless we yield ourselves, submit ourselves to him? And therefore, Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies or yourselves in your bodies 
is a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto him. And then the next verse, he clearly tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We may know, we may prove what that will is, what his will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Where our thoughts, our affections, and our will are all occupied with Christ. New desires, new views, new feelings, new priorities, new goals, new dreams, new hopes, new plans. To seek heavenly, to seek spiritual things, to really seek what his will is for me, not just general will, we can find it in the word of God, but his, his specific will for myself, little details that we neglect many times, even where to go to the meeting, which meeting to attend. We neglect these, and we just, some, some I should say, some like to go from place to place. Well, you know, there's a reason why God has given you a gift, why he has given you his spirit to lead and to guide you, because he wants you where you're supposed to be, where he wants to use you, just like a member of a body. It is there for a reason. This thumb is here for a reason. There's a reason why it's not on top of the head, is it? It will be useless there. So he knows exactly where he wants to use you and where he wants to use me. Is it this meeting? Is it another meeting? Is it somewhere else? You need to come before him. This is why this course is course of prayer and faith in order to know what his will is. Unless we truly desire and unless we truly strive for the will of God, their sins will not happen. Just like people of this world, the professionals of this world, whether it's athletes, whether it's business people, makes no difference what the professional is, whether it's, whether it's uh, those in, a, in a education. How do they get to be so good? Well, there must be a desire first. Then they are striving. And then they are sacrificing. They sacrifice many things. Athletes, business people, they sacrifice great things. Why? Because they want to be the best. And then they follow through on these. Look at the apostle here. He says the same thing. My very life is not dear unto me that I may finish the course. And unless we desire to do so, and as we strive to do so, unless we sacrifice to do so, unless we follow through to do so, we will not do so. Apostle Paul again says, I beat myself in my face, and I buffet my body, and I'm not looking backwards anymore. Forget about the old course. I'm looking forward because I want to achieve what the Lord has prepared for me to achieve, that I may live to His glory and to His honor. Apart from completing the course, there will be no rewards. There will be no graduation. But when we do complete the course, then there is, as Apostle Paul says, unfading crown of righteousness, which is the Lord's approval. And each one of us should strive for this. Unfading. This means it will never fade. What happens when an athlete wins a gold medal? What happens tomorrow? is yesterday's news. What happens a month from now? It's old. This is unfading. The day that the Lord will award it, be as fresh a billion years from now, throughout whole eternity. The Lord will appreciate what we have done for him. Well, today is a Mother's Day. And no, I did not forget. Let me read you something. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 24 the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who 
begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Now let me ask you, godly mothers, Christian mothers, those who pray for their children, those who instruct their children in the way of godliness, what is a greater gift than a child walking in the way of the Lord? What is a greater gift than a godly child? Let me read you something else that Apostle Paul says about his spiritual children in faith when he writes to Philippians. In Philippians, he writes, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in this world. Listen to this now. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Do you know what this means? This simply means that at the judgment seat of Christ, he will rejoice and he will glory in his spiritual children. Can you imagine a mother who prayed, who instructed, who wept many times over her children, and then for those children to be awarded by the Lord himself the crown of righteousness, for the Lord himself to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and the pride of mother, the glory of the mother and the father, Awesome, eternally. So it's a double glory, not only for ourselves, but even for our spiritual children or our natural children that we are brought up in faith. And then we prayed for and we cared for. So all the children here, young and old, this is what the Lord desires for each and every one of us. And this way our parents, mothers especially today, may glory on that day at the judgment seat of Christ. May the Lord bless his word. A loving God and our Heavenly Father, we are thankful and grateful, Father, again for this time. Father, we are what we are, but only by thy grace. We do give thee thanks, Father, for all thy goodness to us day by day. Give thee thanks, Father, for the gift of thy Holy Spirit and the guidance and leading of thy Holy Spirit. Give thee thanks for thy purposes for us, thy will for us. But, Father, we do pray that I would bring us to that desire, that we may desire to complete thy will. To know what thy will is in our lives and then complete it, to finish it, makes no difference what it is, whatever sacrifice there may be, even if it's our life, but we may glorify thee on this earth. So into thy loving care we commit ourselves now and give any thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.